One act of kindness here and an act of kindness there gives those people the impulse to act in kindness to others, and it'll just ripple through. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, an educator, a caregiver support group leader, and the author of two books on caregiving. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist, and I still haven't written anything on caregiving. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe we'll share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Come on now, have I ever forgotten your wine? No, but you haven't poured a glass yet today. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember when we were taking care of Dad, how it really took a toll on you. And how um, a lot of times in this caregiving arena, that the caregiver is under so much pressure and so much stress that the caregivers actually pass before the person in their charge? Well, being a full-time family caregiver, and even being a caregiver for someone who is in a care home is extraordinarily stressful. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to tell people that during the time, you know, he was with us for seven years and um, being on call 24-7 for seven years and and not sleeping for days and nights on end um, as things progressed, I was having panic attacks, um, I was having migraines, my hair was falling out, I did a great deal of praying and crying, um, and there were moments when I didn't think that I could, I would be able to do it for uh, another second, and that's not at all unusual with caregivers, especially when they come into it like we did with expectations that while it might be difficult once in a while, um, and having no idea, you know, we walked into a brick wall. We really didn't know what we were taking on. Yes. And one of the things that happened as a byproduct of that is that changed your whole way of, of life, if you will, um, and prompted you to write. Well, that's, you know, the first thing I did after he passed away was finish writing the book, Confessions of an Imperfect Caregiver, uh, because caregivers that I had been dealing with said, I wish somebody would write a book that tells what it's really like. And, and, you know, back at that time, there weren't as many books on caregiving as there are now. And mine is different in that it reads like a novel. It's not a how-to book. It's this is what we did, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. But, but it... I, I knew from that moment on that I wanted to support other caregivers. And it changed not only the direction of what I write, but what I do with my life. And that's why I became a consultant and an educator and the caregiver support group and why we do this now. Correct. Because it's so important to educate people out there what's coming. And and I guess that brings us to today's guest. In 2016, um, she founded the Bob and Diane Fund. This nonprofit is in honor of her parents, Bob and Diane Martin, who were high school sweethearts and were married for over 49 years. Diane died of Alzheimer's in 2011, and Bob, her loyal caregiver, died three months later. The Bob and Diane Fund supports visual storytelling that documents Alzheimer's disease and dementia. 
We are very pleased to welcome the founder and the executive director of the Bob and Diane Fund, Ms. Dina Martin, to our show. Dina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you for we'll having happy, me. We, you know, we want to learn all about the Bob and Diane Fund, but what our listeners really connect with is the stories of family caregivers. So spend a little time, if you would, talking to us about your parents. Yeah. That, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So my parents, like you said, were high school sweethearts and really did have a strong marriage for 49 years. I'm sure there are a few little ups and downs, but as kids, we really didn't see it. And um, around 20, 2006, we were seeing um, some, you know, little, some red flags with my mom and just kind of repeating herself. But that wasn't that unusual because I'm a twin. And my mom always thought she told us one of us one thing and the other one the other, and she always got it confused. So it just didn't, it was never surprising. Um, but one day we kind of all, and we didn't talk about it to each other, like one-on-one, -on -one. all of a sudden we all just kind of said, have you noticed this? And we're like, yeah. And so it was kind of a quick, um, identification of a red flag that went up. It wasn't like we were seeing it for a while and then finally figured it out. So we, you know, spoke to our dad and he said he was seeing things and, you know, took her to the doctor pretty quickly. I will say one thing my parents were very good at was they were not stubborn when it came to medical care. So getting either of them to get something checked out was fairly easy. And the doctor saw shrinkage of the brain and that is the first clue. So we knew then that what we were in for, um, but so I live in Washington, DC and my rest of my family's all in the Bay Area of California. So I was 3000 miles away, but we are all very close with my, and my brother, sister and I. So we, you know, were absolutely there to support my dad who would be her caregiver and living with her. Um, but as you know, you know, our first thought was it's, it's harder on the caregiver than the, than the person living with um, dementia. So we really had to um, make sure that we were supporting him more. And um, that kind of is what started it. You have mentioned in the past that, that your parents taught you the importance of giving and you have this Bob and mm -hmm. Diane fund. Talk a little bit about how they taught you or showed you the importance of giving? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, so in so many ways, my parents were very, very generous. Um, this starts from when we were in high school. Any of our friends who had problems at home, <laughs> who either got kicked out or wanted to leave their home, there was an open door policy at our house. I cannot think of how many of our friends moved in, whether it was temporarily or longer. And a lot of my parents' um, girlfriends were um, going through separations and divorce. And every one of them moved in with us during that time. Um, I remember at one of my parents' service funerals, the pastor asked, raise your hand if you ever <laughs> lived at the Martin's house. 
because it was a constant. So that is kind of my earliest memory was in high school, but it went on so much longer than that, where they were just always helping people. Always. I remember calling them. And again, like I said, I was 3000 miles away and I knew they had left the Bay area going to their house, which was about two hours. And I called them and I couldn't reach them. And I finally got a hold of them. I'm like, I called you, where were you? They're like, well, we are driving home. I said, well, that was two hours. That's only a two hour drive. I, you know, as if it's my business where they are. And my parents were like, well, we were um, driving home and we saw a furniture store going out of business. And we went and picked up a sofa because one of our renters, when we went to pick up their check, their sofa was in really bad shape. So we picked up a sofa and just delivered it to their house. That was my parents. They were always, always very giving to people. And I totally grew up seeing that. And um, it just left such an impact on my life that I absolutely have (laughs) turned into them. Well, and in this case, it's uh, a good thing, right? I mean, it's obviously a good (laughs) thing. Yes, it is always, it's always obviously a good thing, but sometimes it could, you know, I well, need you to know, scale it back a little bit. That reminds me of when we were, you know, we were both had full-time jobs when we brought Mike's dad into our house. And when the people that I worked with um, heard what I was doing, they, for the most part, were very surprised. You know, why would you do that? Why not a nursing home? Why not? And... I come from a long line of family caregivers, uh, going back generations. If somebody needed somebody to take care of them, somebody in the family stood up. And one of the things, my response was always, I'm setting an example for my children. And that's exactly what your parents Mm -hmm. did. And they didn't have to lecture. They didn't have to tell you. They did it. They lived it. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, obviously they were such great parents to us. We had a great childhood. And they were giving to us, not, I don't believe in a spoiling way, but as young adults, when we needed help, they were always there to help us. Um, But I feel still that they did it in a responsible way. They didn't just, they weren't, we didn't always expect to have this huge safety net, but we knew that they would be there to help us. Um, But it was what they did for other people that just always blew me away. And another example, after I'd bought my um, house in Washington, DC, and I was thinking of refinancing for the first time. And my dad said, yeah, you should, you know, rates are low. And when you do take out a little bit of extra money. And I said, oh, so like if I lose my job or break my leg, he said, no, then when a friend of yours needs the money, you have it to lend. Hmm. And I will never forget that. You know, Mike and I firmly believe that um, service to others is the reason why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they instilled this in you. And I guess that was mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. it's it's a no brainer for you to start the Bob and Diane fund. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've been at National Geographic at that point, maybe 15 years. It's been 21 total. And I love photography. And during my mom's illness and then her death, I started raising money for Alzheimer's Association under the name Team Diane. So we started doing the walk every year and raising money. 
And that was great. We were doing, you know, well doing that. And I think it's such an important cause, but I, about, what was that? Five, five years ago, I was thinking, you know, I've got a little bit of extra cash. You know, I should probably think about supporting a photographer with it. And that I've always supported photographers through, well, at National Geographic, through um, buying their books, their prints, sometimes having to financially help for something. And I thought, oh, I'll give a grant to someone. And then a friend of mine said, why don't you do it on Alzheimer's and name it after your parents? It, I didn't even think of that at first. And I think it came at the right time because during her illness and then the first couple of years after, I couldn't, I would never have been able to do this. I could not really talk about it. I couldn't watch movies about Alzheimer's. It was just too hard. But I think it was, you know, how many years later, five years later, um, or no less than that, it was, I was more comfortable with it and I, I had accepted it and it was much easier to talk about and to then make this my cause. And so I decided to help give, give back to photographers who have, I mean, my career at Geographic has been the best, one of the best things in my life. So I, was able to combine my two loves, which is photography and helping find a cure. And that is how, and I, you know, I wanted to obviously name it after my mom, but I was really, I really wanted to also include my dad because as the caregiver, it affected his life just as much as it affected her. And the fact that he died three months later, I just, I knew naming it after both of them was the right thing. And so doing this in their name and memory is my way of giving you know, back to I, and them. i would like to mention the fact you know to go back a little bit to you know all of the people that lived in your home how many people mm -hmm. going out into the world have been touched because of their kindness and their giving i mean it affected your whole life and each one of those people who were there I love that you asked that because, yeah, my parents, I feel, were <laughs> very special people, but all of their friends and former colleagues say the same. And my friends in Washington, D.C. didn't really get to know them. So the people who are in my everyday life, I think they've understood it now by the way I talk about them. But, you know, my dad retired at 55. He died at 71. So he'd been out of the business for quite a while and he's now been gone eight years. So it's really been a while. And I still get messages from former colleagues, the impact that he left on them and their friends. I get it all the time. And they're like, you may not realize how special they were. And I'm like, no, I do. I lived with them. I, I really, I'm not clueless to how giving they were or what type of people they were. I wasn't, um, you know, blind to that. I, I saw it and I saw that the impact that they had on people. Um, and I just try to celebrate that. I think that's what got me through their deaths being three months apart. I mean, I was so grateful that they were together, but I, and I was 43, I think. So to me, that was still young to lose your parents. But I just felt so grateful that I had them for 43 years. And that is really what got me through it. Um, I obviously mourned them, but I celebrated them much more than I mourned them. So could you um, tell our listeners 
the details of Bob and Diane Fund, how to participate in the, in the next year and um, what it's all about. Yes, thank you. So the Bob and Diane Fund, it is a grant to photographers to bring a visual awareness to the disease. Um, I truly believe that people who have not lived with it do not understand what this disease is. Obviously, people know what cancer is or other types, but Alzheimer's, people really just associate uh-huh. it with forgetting someone's name or forgetting to turn off the coffee pot. And I think that lack of understanding brings a lack of empathy um, to the people it's affecting at that moment. And I thought about this recently that when I say bringing a visual awareness, obviously I want to bring it to the world, but I also really want to bring it to the people who are in the lives of the people living with it. So your neighbors or your colleagues or your close friend who, you know, they have, they know that, you know, that your mother may have it, but they really don't understand what you are going through. So I just, that's, that was kind of the, um, reason reasoning behind this was to bring you know an awareness to it and bringing a visual awareness just brings on more understanding more empathy more interest and more support in wanting to um, financially support research and to emotionally support people living with it so we um, started the first grant in 2016 and we give a $5,000 grant to a photographer any worldwide. Anyone can apply. We always accept submissions in late August, early September. And then we announce the winner in November, which is National Caregivers Month. So this year, we received 73 submissions from 27 different countries which um, I was just blown away. And we usually receive between 50 and 70, which is a good number for us. Um, I, when I started, I had no idea how many projects were out there um, because the grant has to be, the, what you submit has to be an existing body of work. So the grant is to help finish the work, help get it published into a book form or help get it exhibited. So you could put that $5,000 towards that. Um, and then we work really hard in publishing it around the world in newspapers, magazines, and online, um, which fortunately for me, where I work, I have connections and I'm able to, you know, I have a wide net that I can reach out to. Um, and then each year, the Washington Post newspaper announces our winner, which is being announced on I'd like to mention, Monday. just, I'll get back to you real quick, Mike. Um uh-huh. There's a picture of me during the time that I was a caregiver, and and uh, I posted it on on my blog, The Imperfect Caregiver. And I think I don't look too bad today, but that picture, when I put it up there, one of my <laughs> friends said, "Oh my God, Bobby, why would you do that?" And um, our nephew, who saw me after months after my father-in-law had passed, he said, "Oh my God, Bobby, you got younger." And it was such a visual of what it was like to be in that world for, you know, for seven years and the toll that it takes. Um, yes. And I only mention that because that photograph really resonates with people when they see the difference between Ex- that moment and this moment. Exactly. Yeah. The toll yeah. it takes on a caregiver. Now, Absolutely. you had mentioned that the Washington Post does the um, announcement. And... 
um, one of the things mm-hmm. I noticed is you get a tremendous amount of print media uh, coverage and I think and print media attention. I think that's wonderful that you, you're, yeah. your parents rippled out and now you're rippling out. I think that's that's wonderful that people oh, are coming back to you. Thank you. Yeah. I think we've been very lucky. For one thing, there is no other grant of this kind. Um, and I think that's one way we've been lucky. So in 2016, when we announced the grant, time.com, announced it. And it's, you know, the first of its kind, which is, you know, um, great for us. And then our first winner, who was Maya Daniels, she's a Swedish photographer. And that was published, oh gosh, like 30 times. But for that one, it was published in the New York Times and online, Huffington Post, NPR, Alzheimer's associations. I mean, just in so many papers and publications around the world. So, and then after then going into 2017, we started a partnership with the Washington Post and we've been very fortunate that they give us space every year. And right now we're going to be online on Monday. We hope to be in print, but with COVID uh, getting that space in the newspaper, in the print might be more difficult, but that's okay. We, you know, and, and I really work to push it out kind of all year. So it doesn't just have to be in November to get it published. I will still work in January, February, March. With well, that I have project. to say um, in researching for, for the podcast that I went and I watched the vignettes. I, I don't, I don't have a better term in my vocabulary, but the, the, the vignettes yeah, that are on okay. the website. And I got to tell you, oh, man, the, I, had yeah. that, I had that burning lump in my throat <laughs> on each and every one of them. They, oh. I know. I mean, try, try <laughs> no, judging it. It's so hard. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. So this year I just had one other judge. Usually I have three, which is the former director of photography for National Geographic, uh, Getty's um, staff photographer, and then we have a guest judge each year, which is either the director of photography for NPR or ARP. But this year with COVID and all that, um, a friend, a friend of mine in DC, uh, Jared Soros, he's a photojournalist based in DC, and he judged it um, kind of with me, but I let him make that decision, um, and it it was difficult. But yeah, I mean, the first, so I'll start back the first year with 2016 Maya Daniels project, which is just stunning. It's a project that she did in France at a um, hospital that was like a, um, uh, what does she call that? Um, a, a protected unit of a hospital with um, where the Alzheimer or people living with dementia were um, living. And it was a locked door because to keep them in and, you know, to keep um, people who weren't supposed to, you know, out. So she documented these patients, or I should say not patients, people living with the disease, um, standing at that locked door and looking through the window and holding their bags, waiting for loved ones to come pick them up who weren't most likely coming to pick them up. But every day they would stand at that door looking through it. And you could see in the last image of the project, that door had such wear and tear and um, chips and, you know, on it because they would just kind of pull on it and 
claw, not claw in a horrible way, but pick at it. And um, it's just, it's stunning. It's just such a unique way of showing this mm. disease. So we just finished our judging uh, about a week or so ago. And um, our 2020 grantee is a photographer based in Iran. Um, his name's Jalal Sh Shamsazarin. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. We actually haven't spoken on the phone. We email, um, but his project is on his father and it's a black and white, very gritty and emotional um, project. And it's just gorgeous. I'm so excited to work with him. And um, I love that we are, I always love that we're supporting documentation and photographers around the world because people need to know that this, you know, this is obviously a worldwide disease. In Iran, 750,000 people live with dementia. And I think it's like one in four homes, um, you know, have a care caregiving in it. So um, it's an important and it's an important project and I'm really excited to um, share his so work with the world. Just for my understanding, um, I'm, a, I'm a little hazy. So I was on the website and I saw these vignettes. Mm -hmm. Does um, the winners produce the vignettes or is that mm -hmm. something that's produced for them and their photography is what is judged? I'm not sure I understand. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they submit a, um, about mm -hmm. up to 25 mm -hmm. pictures. So a story and it has to be a, you know, um, a story related to dementia in any way, whether it's scientific, some people do more artwork that's uh, like photos, but they might do flowers. But the, if you read the proposal, because sometimes I'm like, what does this have to do with Alzheimer's? Then I'll read their proposal and I see what they're saying but we usually do i like to do more storytelling and then we judge by the photography and you know i read the proposals and see what they want to do with it but we really do look at the images the editing of the images the sequencing of it so that's kind of what it's judged on and then we put that together we just put it into a slideshow okay. on our site um, usually in the same sequence they've submitted it. Um, so that's what that is. That is a summary of each winner, each grantee that you're looking at. And then that work is what we um, send out to publications uh, to uh, publish. Those are those are awesome. The, the vignettes. Now, I haven't seen what you saw. I've just seen the, the vignettes. And, and they're, wow, they're yeah. heartfelt and they are heart-wrenching. Yeah. And each one has been so different. The first one, as I said, Maya Daniels, it was not a family member or anyone that she knew. Like I said, they were, um, it was a hospital. The second one by Chris Nunn, who's based in the UK, his was on an artist in his town. I think it's York. Um, he had met this gentleman at the grocery store and he was, I think, a known painter in their area. And Chris must have known or something that he had Alzheimer's and asked him if he could document his life. And he, uh, he said, yes. And so Chris um, documented his life for quite a while. So that was someone that he was introduced to, I guess. The third one, Stephen Dorado, 
who is based in Massachusetts, his document with dad was of his father. And he'd been documenting his father for over 20 years. Um, So uh, with large format cameras, so all set up, you know, staged images of family portraits and self-portraits with his father. And then when he got diagnosed, he just continued that. And it's so beautiful. And then last year, Sophie Matheson, who's Dutch, she, hers was on her grandparents and um, her grandfather, I should say, um, her grandfather who had dementia and her grandmother who took care of her. And then this year's winner, Jalal, is on his father. So there's ones with parents, grandparents, black and white color, um, some just more portraiture work this year is more photojournalistic work and it's very gritty. So I really love the different ways you can document this disease. And I, so, which I think is so important for people to, to see. Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, Dina, thank you so much for sharing your family story and for, you know, telling our listeners about the Bob and Diane Fund. Hopefully you get some great photos and great stories uh, from people who listen to the podcast. And it's just so nice to get to know you and hear your story. Oh, thank you so much. It was so nice to talk with both of you. And I will just remind your audience that we will be doing submissions for 2021 in late August. And please, you know, consider submitting your work. Everything's on our website, which is the bobanddianefund.org. And we would love to see your work and, ex- yeah, and share that experience that website with you. on our site so people can go to that. Great. So, wow. What, what what a great find for us and for our listeners. And a couple of notes that I took, you know, when she first started talking about her mom being diagnosed and when they saw shrinkage of the brain, and, you know, I sometimes refer to Alzheimer's as brain atrophy um, because people do sometimes think of it just as memory loss and not the fact that the brain is being directly impacted and it has an impact on every system in your body and the other of course is consider the impact of giving to others because because of her parents and and their wonderful outreach they were an example not only for her and her twin and other family members but people throughout the community well i wrote that down too and i wrote it down as a ripple effect of kindness (laughs) and that's something that we could surely use today that one act of kindness here and an act of kindness there gives those people the um, impulse to act in kindness to other and it'll just ripple through if we could get away from all the meanness and just ripple kindness through not only the country but the world what a wonderful world it would be to quote a song right yes Um, let's let's just be kind and That's one it. of the things I tell caregivers is be as kind to yourself as you are to the person that you're caring for. Right. You can find more information about Gina, Bob, and Diane on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. 
To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.